What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you another week of what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan, joined by my co-host. His name is Vengeance, Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, what's going on, man? It is, man. Speaking of vengeance, tried to buy tickets to Lady Gaga's Chromatica Ball back on sale this year, pandemic delayed. And that's just, just too expensive, my guy. Can't do it. What do you think it. it's going for? After fees, the cheapest ticket available at Fenway Park was over $200. Lower and, than I expected, honestly. Yeah. And that's that's tough. Live Nation just taking too big of a cut. It's, it, it's bull. So I'll, I'll try and hit resale last minute and see what's up with that. That's in August, but that's lame. Yeah, that is kind of lame. But yeah, you, you have the right idea. Hang out around Fenway Park for like an hour before and see those prices drop. Go in and see the Gaga. Um, yeah, uh, we both saw concerts this weekend. We're going to talk about them as well as a couple of uh, a couple of movies and TV shows that we were excited about, especially the Batman, as alluded to. So if you want to hear that all the second this drops, hit that subscribe on youtube.com slash nostalgia pod and uh, go to Spotify and give us a five star rating. And if you want to leave a review anywhere else, I mean, we wouldn't hate it. But Dave, uh, Lady Gaga to Elton John, they've they've made songs together. They sang together at times and mm-hmm. saw Elton John this past Wednesday at uh, Barclays Center. So he was uh, finally on his Yellow Brick Road farewell tour. Um, he was this was the show was supposed to go off two years ago. And the people that graciously took me with them, shout out to Dylan Lee, uh, they bought their tickets for a Saturday night and were very excited for it. And then uh, the pandemic hit and Elton John was like, we're just going to push this shit off for as long as we have to until I can do this again. And so he's back. He's he's up there. He's uh, in his 70s and you can kind of tell, um, you know, he doesn't move around the stage super well um actually the the most he moves on the stage uh is his piano is able mm. to like drive around the stage which is pretty ah. cool because he goes from one side to the other innovation and it hel- yeah it helps him get over to like where some of the costume change areas are he didn't do many costume changes only like two or three but it was it was definitely cool um he got up a couple of times and would like tell the crowd to like pump up and like interact a little bit but for the most part i mean he was just sitting behind the piano and he didn't even play uh, a couple of the songs that felt like sure things. I didn't hear uh, Circle of Life or any of the Lion King soundtrack. He got to most of the like the Elton John like major hits, played like one or two deep cuts that people were like, whatever. Told a really, really cool story about um, his first single. I, I, I believe it's called Through the Storm that he released and Aretha Franklin covered and how um he became friends with aretha franklin from there on out and she played a fundraiser that he had uh six months before she passed away and like was very sick and wasn't going to go on then powered through and just gave this amazing performance so that was a really cool moment he had some awesome visuals not only like pictures throughout his life but just like some awesome like dance videos to some of the, the songs and stuff like that so overall just an amazing performance he's been traveling with some of these musicians for 40 50 years so really that you, you just hear how tight and professional they are yeah. 
my main critique, which is not not surprising for artists this age, Elton John's earlier songs, a lot of them have very high notes, and the, mm. the song the songs stay up there, and Elton just cannot get up in that range at all anymore. So things like Crocodile Rock or like Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting or even like Daniel, um, you know, there's moments where he gets super high pitched and uh, he just just doesn't have that range. So uh, it sounds a little different, but always, always great to see a mm. legend. So I was very grateful I got to see him. Yeah. This this was at Barclays, not MSG. It was at Barclays. Oh, it, was that like a late pivot? Because I I thought he had two MSG dates like back to back. Um, so I believe he played there earlier, um, and then these ones were for Barclays Center. Let me oh, look that interesting. up. Yeah, I was yeah. I was looking on like the tour on Wikipedia, but um, so did he do both Rocket Man and the Dua song Cold Heart? Do you both oh, yeah. of those? Oh yeah, uh, it's kind of weird, mean, isn't it, to do both? It is, but uh, the Dua song. I mean, really, the part he sings is a song called "Sacrifice." That uh, what's his, what that that DJ Pinnow, um me, uh, me, meshed together his vocals to right. "Sacrifice" with Dua singing the hook to "Rocket Man." Um, so I, I think for him, it's a little different, but. The, the people we were with were like, is Dua going to come out? Is Dua going to be here? No, no, no shot. Tour. She's on her own tour. She was in D.C. that night with uh, Caroline Polachek. Did Caroline open up for your show? Correct. Was she great? I did not uh, see her. I got there as she ended. No, Dave. She's huge right now. She's yeah, great. She's like, she's like in that Charlie XCX mold. Uh, I know. Anointed. Um, but yeah, people went crazy for that the whole crowd was into it the whole time, which was great. And people were like in the aisles, like dancing, going nuts. So very, very strong uh, performance and, and overall experience. So, so I highly recommend the, seeing him. So I got the update here. He did back-to-back MSG dates in 2018, 2019, and just recently in February. And then he just did two Brooklyn dates. And that's where you were. Got it. So he's, I mean, this is supposed to be his final tour, but it's this long ranging multi-year tour exactly dates across the globe so it's uh it's nowhere near complete but no <laughs> when it is done it, it, it will be uh the end it looks like yep. right now the last scheduled dates are in summer 2023 in europe so it's going to be a long time still going to be a long long time so touchdown <laughs> brings me around again to find as some may say but yeah go go see the, the tour if you have the opportunity i'm sure tickets are expensive i again i was very fortunate to be able to go dave you also saw a concert this weekend amine um but the concert wasn't exactly what you thought it was going to be right that's correct so i saw amine the best tour ever stop in boston house of blues boston the best boston concert venue however aj tracy of the uk was supposed to be opening up just about to join this uh second leg of amine's tour and he was unable to attend this show as well as the next show on the tour, Pittsburgh, because of visa delay issues being a uh, you know resident of the UK. And just on its face, isn't that like the craziest like reason an artist has to not show up? Like this tour was announced months ago. How are there visa issues for a musician? Like, yeah, I don't like, I, like, like when, when, you, when you said that to me, I was very confused. 
I don't yeah. know how that happens. But um, it's been resolved. He 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 joined the stop in Toronto. So um, I'm hoping I'm hoping AJ might like show up for uh, Dave's stop in Boston in May because the Mie tour will be done by then. That's what I'm crossing my fingers about that. But still got a Mine and a Coaches opened up too. And honestly, what really struck me the two two things. One is uh, Amine's got a lot of a lot of songs that people like. I think kind of like yeah. sneakily, like quite the catalog now. The two albums, <laughs> the two mixtapes. He had a lot of songs that got big crowd reaction. And in general, what made the show so fun was it was a really uh, lit crowd. You know, um, because AJ couldn't be there, Amine's tour DJ just you know, spun for 20 minutes to get people hyped to, uh, until, you know, the right, I mean, it's time to come out, showed up. And that was, that was rowdy as hell. It was great. Just running through bangers of, you know, all, all genres, Schoolboy Q, Kanye, Gucci, Little Baby, anything you can think of that's like a major rat banger of the last 10 years. He played it and like he would mix and transition quickly and Man, people were like losing their shit. It was fucking awesome. <laughs> and then the Mina actually comes out, and you're like, "Oh yeah, Mina's got like a bunch of records." And I, uh, I, re- I really enjoyed it. There was one, uh, one thing I thought was really, uh, was really cool that Mina did. He, uh, after Spice Girl, towards the end of the set, which got a great response. After Spice Girl ends, uh, and like in the song Spice Girl, he says, um, "Like I want." I believe that's like common, like, you know, refrain in the song. Right as Spice Girl ends, they immediately go into Spice Girl's wannabe. I'll tell me what you want, what I really, really want. And again, the crowd <laughs> lost it. Uh, I just thought that was actually kind of like a... Uh, Smart move. Yeah, a unique, uh, a unique, a unique choice. But uh, yeah, I mean, there was one point he like brought someone up on stage and talked about how he has these jeans he's wearing. And there's like patches from every place he goes and stuff and... That person got the sign, the patch and stuff. And set design was pretty unique to him, Portland inspired. But uh, yeah, he, he, was, uh, he was a lot of fun. And uh, actually did not end with Caroline, which is what I expected. He, that was the second to last song. He ended it with Reel It In instead. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was, it was a good time, despite AJ not being there. Yeah, I know you're boned about not seeing AJ and you sent me a video of uh, some of his performances. Definitely would have been cool to see him in a small venue like that. Yeah, well, just the other thing is like UK artists, UK rappers, they're not in the US playing all the time. It's unique. It's rare. So like, it's just an opportunity that I'm disappointed to miss. But hopefully he'll be back. We'll see. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm seeing Dave in May. So at least I'll get get some of that uh, UK fix soon. Dave seeing Dave. Can't, can't ask for more than that. Uh, well, Dave, before we hop into the TV and movies of the day we should probably touch base about this recent news dropping this past friday that epic uh the video video game distributor yes. production company uh is purchasing acquiring Bandcamp for right. an undisclosed sum uh first my, my, my first thought was uh why yeah do you think that this makes sense it's definitely an eyebrow razor for sure, right? It's like Bandcam gets bought on its face. Okay, I suppose that could have happened one day, sure. But bought by Epic Games? It's kind of weird, right? And 
I just think that it's something that leaves everyone with a lot of questions, whether you're a avid user of, of Bandcamp who likes to, you know, buy and support, buy things and support their artists uh, that they like on Bandcamp, whether you're an artist that is active on Bandcamp and is finding a way to find a sustainable career as an independent artist in a way that's actually possible, unlike uh, trying to succeed on Spotify and Apple Music. There's a lot of questions. And I think the, the motives, the, the future goals of Epic are obviously what everyone's theorizing about and, and talking about. Because you know, when, when tech of any variety buys something, there will be changes, right? YouTube did change after Google bought it. You know, th things happen. And uh, on the other hand, I've seen people say that, oh, Ep Epic, well, it could be worse. Epic is, quote unquote, the one of the better, the better people to buy something, the more altruistic, as it were. Of course, the Epic Games Store as a uh, competitor to like Microsoft, Sony, and, and Steam, much less, uh, much lower commission rate for, for, for developers. And, uh, you know, the app, same thing with like, their app store, they take like a 12% commission versus Google and Apple taking 30%. So Epic is kind of acting in a similar way to how Bandcamp has been in terms of taking a much lower commission and being more artist creator focused. So if that is to continue, perhaps Epic's, you know, treasure chest of funds can help benefit the Bandcamp platform. Of course, Epic Games is multi-billion dollar company now because Fortnite is an incredible uh, money maker and as a as a service game but it's just a lot of a lot of questions right no matter what they say we need to see what happens to Bandcamp because a lot of artists depend on Bandcamp as a way to directly connect with and actually find a way to support themselves especially during the pandemic when they couldn't tour so just a lot of questions but kind of yeah. a new, it just a, a very kind of random development honestly yeah, it feels random. You know, there was one tidbit in the article that you shared with me um, from Pitchfork where they mentioned that Epic has been um, really investing and forward thinking in terms of the metaverse. And we haven't really talked too much about the metaverse here. Uh, uh, nostalgia, to be honest, I'm like not really that interested in it. I'm out on the metaverse. <laughs> Fuck that shit. But a lot of a lot of very smart and wealthy and innovative yes. people seem to be interested in it. So maybe it is something that we should keep our our eyes and our mouths uh, open about or talking mm -hmm. about. Um, the idea of Epic somehow bringing Bandcamp or bands that have their music on Bandcamp and somehow bringing that into the metaverse for like metaverse concerts like live concerts yeah. in some way is it's kind of an interesting idea to this you know like uh i i don't know if it if that's necessarily what they're thinking but it's, it seems like a really interesting prospect like you know yeah. they they build these spaces and then you buy these virtual tickets for i don't know like 10 15 bucks or like listening sessions and an artist plays their new album or their new right. single for you that way it's, it's it's kind of an interesting idea yeah yeah and connecting it to that i mean obviously Fortnite has had a lot of success with like big, like in-game concerts, virtual concerts, Travis Scott and Marshmallow yeah. most famously, but even like broadly speaking during the you know height of the pandemic, virtual concerts were very successful from a monetary standpoint and just broadly very popular. And 
even as concert going is coming back and the pandemic waxes and wanes, perhaps there is something to virtual performances sticking around in some way. And I guess the scale that Epic can provide for people that want to be on Bandcamp, namely more independent, smaller artists, more niche artists, I suppose that is interesting. I mean, I, I can't imagine that they're buying Bandcamp just because they want to be able to easily license, you know, independent music. It has to be bigger than that. So yeah, uh, uh, a lot, a lot more to uh, wait and see on. Yeah, I, I think that that's kind of the takeaway is there's some interesting possibilities here. Some it could go in a couple different directions, but I think it's uh, kind of in the wait and see stages. So we'll we'll, we'll keep our finger on the pulse of this and. Uh, kind of pay attention as we move forward but why don't we turn it over to hulu now where we're talking the dropout the new uh, amanda seafried series about uh, elizabeth holmes and the theranos uh, uh fraud i yeah. guess Grift. Uh, yeah based on the the dropout the rebecca jarvis uh abc news podcast from i believe it was a few years back yes. and um you know, I, I've, there were three episodes dropped. I'm going to be transparent. I only got through two of them. So uh, you, I think you got through all three. You might yeah, be able to speak a three. little bit more. Yes. And, and I've heard that after the third one, it feels like the show is, in, the, the season's in a pretty good place. So it feels like there's a, a lot of meat on the bones still. But I got to say, like, uh, it, it might just be the the fact that I don't, I don't really find Elizabeth Holmes as a person, you know, especially knowing <laughs> what, what, what she did. Uh, to be a super fun character to follow. I, I didn't really love the first couple of episodes, but I, I did think that there's enough there to like keep me on the line. How did you feel about the, the first three? Yeah, so I like I liked it. And I think the reason I liked it is because it's very easy to compare it to all the other stuff that's happening right now. The uh true. The American crime story esque ripped from the headlines uh scammer TV show is very in vogue right now. You know, inventing Anna not successful. Pam and Tommy just kind of down the middle. We're going to get the WeWork one. We crashed with Jared Leto very soon on Apple. And of course, you get the dropout. A, a great, great subject for this brand new genre we're seeing explode right now. But what I, uh, what I like about it, is I, did, I just think they're, it's really well done for what they're doing in terms of like highlighting the ticks of Elizabeth Holmes and helping you understand why all of this happened in terms of how this grift was able to last for so long before people even realized it was happening. It's really compelling story, even if the person at the center of it is not super likable. But I think Amanda Seyfried is like really she's great. She's, she's doing a really good job with this. Like it's not parody. And it, it but tonally like this show kind of, kind of jumps around a little bit, right? Cause like, on one hand, there's people that were taking advantage of here and, and, and of course, the, all these rich people that lost tons of their investment money, but also patients that uh, got lied to as well. So there's, there's a whole, whole spectrum of that. But then you still like see this Elizabeth Holmes character and like this kind of like perverted like nature that she has in terms of being driven to succeed. It's just kind of fascinating. And like her whole relationship with Sonny Balwani, someone 20 years her senior, that she develops a platonic into romantic relationship, mm -hmm. then working relationship. Like there's just, I feel like there's just a lot of juice here. Yeah. 
no i mean there, there's a lot lot to dig into and uh, i think it obviously all starts with uh seafried's performance and she really plays this person who is like obviously really smart and um driven but just like a, a tick off like there's just something off about her and seafried plays that so perfectly i i don't know how she taps into it so well but it, I, I was really impressed with that um i i also really liked just like uh, in the second episode and i uh, i assume this kind of goes into the third like when things start to fall apart with the the thing that they're making the invention right. with the, the edison yes the edison um the the way that the team just kind of starts like panicking around them and especially uh, uh, uh i'm gonna say his name wrong um utkaresh mm Budkar and yes, one um, of the engineers yeah I, and i just watched free guy so i just saw him in that um he's 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 fantastic dude he he brings a great energy and like fun but at the same time can like sink into serious so quickly it's it's really well done um and so i found that sort of thing compelling i think some of the stuff in the first episode like the table setting of like her upbringing it's kind of crazy that her dad was also you know in like the enron scandal i know yeah i didn't know that just insane but like i found some of that stuff a little bit less interesting i liked it more when it, like fun, things finally started moving with the Edison. Right. But, um, what about you? What were your favorite yeah. parts of it? Well, and that's what's good too, because by the time episode three, Green Juice ends, Elizabeth has brought Sonny back in. Mm-hmm. And Sonny's about to join the company as COO. But also, Elizabeth is kind of like reinventing that like girl boss take over the world thing, right? Black Turtleneck is back. She's invo- uh, invoking that deeper affectation in her voice that she's practicing on the show so much. I really like how like you see those scenes because Amanda is like doesn't do it perfectly, right? Like it really shows how she's like trying to like develop like an almost alt persona for her public facing self. It's really interesting. Uh, but yeah, I think there's like a, a few like I think really key scenes that uh, really help. I think one of them in the early on is when. Uh, Elizabeth gets basically told off by Dr. Phyllis Gardner, played by Laurie Metcalf on, um, on, on campus. I think it is. And uh, kind of the, the whole highlights, the whole, the whole Elizabeth Holmes problem, right? It's like, she's so driven to succeed and change, change the world, or at least be credited with changing the world that she's not actually stopping to figure out uh, how to go about doing that. Right. It's like skipping all these steps and she gets told all that and still does it anyway. Right. And mm-hmm. it kind of makes you think too. It's like maybe if Elizabeth Holmes had tried something that she could have perhaps innovated in in easier, something outside of science. I don't know. Maybe she actually would have been successful because she was really good at uh getting people to believe in her and give her money. Yeah. yeah, no, she definitely was charismatic and obviously very driven and uh I, I mean, just watching the the scenes of her like in Japan, just how serious she was. She was yeah, China. She was Beijing. in China. Yes. Um, just how serious she was. Um, you, I think they do a really good job of kind of helping you understand who the character is and just like that that drive. It's just a, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I guess for me, like I, I don't really find the crimes uh, angle to be as interesting i think as as most people in popular culture do i mean if you go on netflix there's just like 
a new crime thing dropped every two days. It's it's insane. But I I really like Seafried, and I, I I feel like where she's gone from kind of being like one of the breakouts in, in Mean Girls to this like more serious roles. She's still kind of in that like second or third tier, but um, Oscar nominated for Mank. Right. I, I feel like she's I feel like she's got potential to eventually be pulling in some really high level roles on a consistent basis and that this is a this is a decent look for her i mean it's a hulu mini series but um you know that 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 means a lot more now than it would have a couple of years ago so oh oh, for sure and she actually was replacing kate mckinnon in this role Uh, i think amanda amanda is definitely a lot more convincing as like in college elizabeth holmes than kate mckinnon would have been Mm -hmm. i think that's obvious but uh yeah, I mean, I also really liked um, that scene with Larry Ellison on the boat. I think that's another really good, like, just highlighting how Silicon Valley works more often than not kind of thing. And then a, uh, a scene in episode three, which you didn't see yet, where she goes to the Genius Bar to fix her iPhone and, like, kind of dresses down without even realizing it. This person who doesn't know what she wants to be yet in life which is obviously very antithetical to what Elizabeth Holmes has been, someone who always knew what she wanted to do forever. And then she immediately follows that up by going to the board and the board wants to replace her as CEO. And she almost lifts this dialogue she just had with this random genius bar employee at the Apple store and uses it to save herself and save her position as CEO and, and thus bring Sonny in in the process. Like, I think this shows us it just has a lot more going on than some of these other rip from the headline shows we've seen recently. And that's what I appreciate about it. Um, also like Stephen Fry is just on the cast as one of the guys in the lab. Just awesome. I know yeah. uh, Sam Watterson and Alan Ruck will be coming up as well. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm not, I'm not a true crime guy at all, but like when like these kind of series are dramatized in this way, I do find it more interesting, especially when it's like this and it's, you know, trying to juggle kind of a lot of things at once. I, I think this is going to be one that we'll probably end up uh, checking back in with at the end of the season. So uh, stay tuned and follow along. So get that Hulu subscription and uh, watch the dropout. And also you, you got to have HBO if you're, if you want to watch good TV and you should be watching winning time, the newest Adam McKay, who, you know, just a few short months after uh, his latest feature film, we're talking about his most recent uh, television venture with Winning Time, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty. Um, Man, (laughs) I mean, I I was I was really pumped for this uh, just because, I mean, this is right up, I think, both of our alleys, probably yours a little bit more than Mike's. You're a bigger basketball guy than me. But uh, I, I mean, Lakers, you know, Showtime era back in the the 80s, um, right. it's late it's 70s just, into the 80s where we start. It's just fun stuff. You know, you're out in L.A., everything that kind of comes with that amazing cast, uh, <laughs> which uh, we'll get into. But obviously, uh, the first episode really centers around John C. Riley as Jerry Buss. And there's just a lot here. <laughs> there's a lot here to talk about. I had a really great time with the first uh, episode, The Swan. Uh, which was directed by McKay. He's an EP on the whole thing, but the next one um, is directed by uh, Jonah Hill, which I'm excited to see how mm-hmm. w- what he's going to do with that. So a lot of uh, 
a lot of good stuff here. Also, should probably note that this was based on um, a book of uh, almost the same name um, from yeah. Showtime. Uh, yeah, they, they don't uh, want HBO didn't want to have a series called Showtime for obvious reasons. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Dave, I mean, I, I love the first episode. I assume you're in the same boat, right? Yeah, totally. I, I think it's just it's a lot of fun, and that tone is really just really fun to be with. You know, it's like a very excessive show in the sense that throwing a lot of stuff out at you, the characters are talking to the audience, breaking the fourth wall. Your title sequence is like, you know, nonstop 70s imagery, right? Like it's a show that doesn't slow down at all, but it's just such a fun ride to be on. And like, I don't care if like anything might be like over the top or like drilled home too hard. It's just really fun stuff. So uh, this, and obviously we got to see the whole thing, but like, I feel like this is a lot more in line with like what people used to think about Adam McKay before he got serious the past few years, past few movies. So um, even though he just is the EP on this, he didn't, he didn't develop the show. Um, I, I think it's just kind of like a home run thing to adapt into a series. Like it's just kind of obvious, like obviously this is, there's just so much material here in this story to make it to a fun show. Oh, uh, there's, there's so much here. And uh, I, what I really loved about the first episode, I mean, you mentioned some of the, the like fun character, like breaking the fourth wall and kind of like the wink, wink at the camera a lot of the time, but I really like how it centers around like basically two characters while introducing a lot of the other big players. So it centers around Jerry Buss played by John C. Riley and Magic Johnson, who is about to be drafted by the Lakers in this episode, played by Quincy Isaiah. Mm-hmm. Um, and first of all, Quincy Isaiah, for this being really his first big role, um, fantastic, I thought, and kind yeah. of gives off that magic air, that big smile, that um, charisma so well. Um, but kind of like following those two while also like introducing what's going on with Kareem, um, with uh, the other point guard there, um, Stormin. Norman, is that it? <laughs> yeah, um, uh, uh, Norm Nixon. Norm Nixon, played, yes. Played by Norm Nixon's real life son, Devon Nixon, who has oh, actually right. been an actor. Yeah. In general, most oh. of the players are played by like the le- less famous people on this big sprawling cast. Mm-hmm. But but uh, yeah, obviously it's all magic, all Jerry in the first episode. Yeah, and and seeing Jerry kind of figure out how he's going to pull off this purchase and like his vision for the team while in this, this time of transition with the other owner and uh, how he is like, like the interaction with his, uh, his business partner and all that. It was just really fun. Um, I really loved, but like how the name of the episode is the Swan and, and that part in the episode I thought was great. Cause you, you right. know, you kind of see Jerry potentially like losing this business deal and he explains like swans look so graceful on top of the water, but underneath they're paddling like hell. And it's kind of like, him playing poker at the the right. table with this guy and pulling Jack off Cook. like calling him out yeah you know, Jack Cook and calling him out every step of the way um I just thought that whole scene was just really really well done um my my one my one negative is I thought the scene between Magic and uh Norm Nixon where they were playing basketball mm. I didn't think it was really that that great at basketball which is always hard to like I think show on screen and of course, like they're also at a party. They're not like actually like playing a game or anything like that. Yeah, they're wearing I just was, like, like pants. Yeah. I, I just was kind of like, eh, 
I, I'm not convinced that these two are professional basketball players, but really I'll wait till like, we like see more basketball scenes before judging. But yeah, yeah. Um, you, you want the basketball to, to look good. And I, I think that 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 factored into why they cast less famous people, because most most people in Hollywood are on the shorter side of things. Just, yep. just that's the way how it goes. So if you want someone to be Magic Johnson, to be Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, they got to look the part, let alone also be know how to act. So uh, TBD on the basketball, I'd say. But um I mean, there's just so much more like to look forward to, right? Like we barely we, we saw just in like flashback scenes, uh, Red Auerbach as Mike uh, or Michael Chiklis as Red Auerbach, the Celtics yeah. coach, and we know uh, Adrian Brody will be coming in as Pat Riley yeah. uh, late, later. There's it's just it's just a crazy stack cast. Uh, Jason Siegel as Paul Westhead as well. Like uh, I mean, we we barely got to see any of Jason Clark as Jerry Weston. It was like maybe some of the best like five minutes of the whole episode. Yeah. Just watching Jason Clark awesome. just curse up a storm is so funny, and, <laughs> but it makes it makes complete sense too. Like, and they they explain it. Like, I, I like how like they're doing a good job of I think accommodating the casual like basketball historian with this show. It's like, oh yeah, by the way, Jerry West lost to the Celtics five times in a row, but he won MVP at the end. But they still lost. <laughs> like, you know, a lot of people know that. Um, but yep. yeah, let's remind everyone. Oh yeah, by the way, Jerry West, that's him. That's the logo. That, that, that That's where that came from. Like mm-hmm. it's quick, but the context is never lost. And I think that's especially important because this is going to be a sprawling uh, cast, sprawling story. Um, yeah. But I think John C. Riley through one episode really captures that uh, mystique, that persona that Dr. Buss had carried. And that's what he was always known for is it's like larger than life guy that people really like despite uh you know as many vices and all that stuff so um it's funny to think about the real world implications of this because the fallout between adam mckay and will ferrell mm-hmm. in terms of the real life friendship that fallout happened because adam mckay didn't want to cast will ferrell as dr bus in winning time and he said he cast john c Riley. but i gotta say john c Riley really uh delivering so far yeah so think you made the right call yeah i mean it, it is it is hard to to know that their friendship is uh, on the rocks or not in a good place because of it but yeah i mean john c Riley, one of the best character actors and i think right, kind of the, the the tone that the show is going for he seems to fit that best so you know you kind of understand mckay going there um real quick just kind of like looking through the cast and people we didn't even really mention all that much uh you get down there and uh jillian jacobs is gonna be um on on the show as uh pat riley's daughter it looks like uh which is just kind of like a fun like throw in you know someone that has been in a couple of shows haven't heard from him a bit wood harris gonna be playing spencer haywood at one point which uh we we know wood harris can actually ball on screen so that's that's kind of cool um and like you mentioned i think uh like you see jason siegel eventually um there's a lot of a lot of people to look forward to here i'm really uh i'm all in and we didn't even mention gabby hoffman who seems like she's going to have a fairly decent decent role in this as well and she was great too so yeah she like runs the uh i think i think the gabby hoffman character claire rothman i believe she like kind of like runs the forum and like does a lot of like the operations side of the lakers and will be probably in a lot of scenes with dr bus so and, and she's great so looking forward to that and of course you get young young genie here as well of course genie bus the current owner of the lakers dr bus has passed so um 
yeah, I think it's this is fun, and I mean, yeah. it's just loaded loaded with with characters and personalities and famous cultural forces. So, um, I'm glad to see that, like at least through one episode, it definitely has a point of view on that story, and it definitely won't be boring. Definitely not boring. Uh, Dave, why don't we uh, why don't we wrap up that the TV section there and jump back to Hulu to talk about Fresh, the uh, the new horror movie um, dropping this past week, starring Daisy Edgar Jones and Sebastian Stan, directed by Mimi Cave. Um, you know, th- this this movie reminded had so many moments that reminded me of other movies. And it felt like it like really stole from a couple of other things. Uh, but I, I got to say, like, I, I really enjoyed this. I, you know, I don't always love like gory horror movies. And so I think some of some of it, I was kind of like, eh, it's not totally for me. But overall, really enjoyed it. Yeah. Also, the, the easy transition that I totally whiffed on. Adam McKay also was a co-producer on this. So right. <laughs> I don't know how I missed that. But uh, Dave, what what did you think of Fresh? Yeah, I liked Fresh. Uh, you know, it's funny. I wouldn't really call it a horror movie. Like it's part horror movie. It's part like part like romantic comedy almost too. It's like a psychosexual like horror comedy. I guess you know it has a lot of lot of different tones. It's struggling, and I've seen some like negative criticism saying that like there's just too many tones in Fresh. But for me, I I enjoyed it. I thought it was really fun like i can kind of know you know where it's going like oh yeah okay daisy edgar jones this character noah she'll be the final girl in a horror movie like yeah we know how that works but like it's just really fun to be in her and sebastian stan's presence you know for yeah. two hours because uh i think they have really good chemistry and the, for these two characters like that relationship i think they put in the work in, in this film to make it make sense and like 30 minutes in when you get finally get the title sequence when uh, Noah gets drugged and like, you know, the other shoe drops basically becomes really uh, tension filled. And I appreciated that. Like, yeah, it's not like some like super gory horror film. Like when he, when, when, uh, when Steve takes some, uh, takes some pieces off of uh, Noah, you don't really see it. You know, it's not like, we're watching like the, a saw movie or anything you know but uh yeah, yeah. overall i just appreciated it because i thought it was it was fun and kind of had a lot to say about a lot of different things and like it was never boring you know it was yeah. uh it, it was it was interesting yeah i definitely thought it was interesting and thought-provoking you know this this critique of like modern dating modern love mm-hmm. what what people actually like want in a relationship what kind of like what brings two people together also an underlying like theme about it um <laughs> you know i in thinking about it like the the scene if you're watching on um youtube the, the scene behind me of them dancing kind of reminded me of uh oscar isaac and in, in ex machina doing his dance scene with the the, oh, yeah. the female robot uh you know also like uh the it had a little bit of like the get out feel you know, kind of like not mm. not necessarily like the basement, like uh, right. in Get Out, but just like being trapped and trying to escape this situation and having to like fumble your way out of it. However, Daisy Edgar Jones does. I actually think 
that that scene where she like seduces him again at the end is really really great um and also (laughs) you know it it has like i guess kind of going back to like the get out feel like the friend trying to like find them like knowing something is wrong like uh and then kind of has that twist also (laughs) and then you have the the other friend showing up and and not not doing anything which was also a bit of like a, a twist on it which was funny um yeah i i found this to be really fun and you know great look for sebastian stan who i think um not only hasn't really the the last two tv shows we talked about him in uh pam and tommy lee before that falcon and the winter soldier he's he's done all right like his performance has been okay but both shows have been panned pretty critically uh pretty widely critically i should say and uh i think he kind of needed a a nice role like this to kind of get him back in some good standing and i i think he's fantastic as this like psychopath uh but also like super charming you know dude i don't know it's mm, it's yeah. fun to watch him yeah i mean i mean sebastian zan's been the internet boyfriend for a reason like he's a good looking guy and it, it makes sense that he also can you know portray that but i i think i really like like how they meet right like the the trope is that you oh you you met someone on tinder and they kidnapped you the you know beware of online dating but no uh noah thought that she actually had made a genuine connection in real life the traditional old-fashioned way and that's what got her in trouble you know it's kind of Mm -hmm. a flip of what you expect now the movie kind of drops the uh comment on like modern day dating pretty quickly once you get past the first 30 minutes but I still think it gets its point across. You get that, uh, you know, opening scene basically with Noah and that dude she's on a terrible date with. You know, I think that really conveys it. Although, again, that guy, like, trying to convince us that Daisy Edgar Jones is somehow, like, <laughs> not everything he's wanted in life and, like, is not even his type, to use his words, is just baffling. Like, just like in normal people, trying to convince us that Daisy Edgar Jones isn't really conventionally attractive it's just really funny to me and yeah they, thankfully I, those two pro- properties fresh and normal people are still really great that doesn't get in the way but hopefully one day daisy edgar jones will be in something where that's not like a big aspect of her character because it's just not right well i uh, we should say that the the guy at the beginning of, of the film says all this after he's like rejected by noah and is obviously saying it from a place of hurt and being mm-hmm. just a basic ass bitch himself but yeah no it, it is funny that that came back up I, I immediately just cackled to myself that you know again like someone is saying this in a movie when she is just an absolute uh absolutely beautiful girl or woman i should say um you know a, a couple other parts of the movie that i thought were really really fun um i mean not only like the whole like 30 minutes leading up i thought was really great um to to the title card was really great um but i really liked the like getting out of the house scene you know like mm. not not only the the seduction like i mentioned where she she ended up like biting his dick off and like how like that was just i, I saw that coming a mile away and it still was like shocking to me somehow but yeah. then like them trying to escape the basement and like everything that came with that man like it was just so riveting and i i was really like i felt like i saw every step of the way coming especially like the wife like her her turn on the friend 
showing up and you know trying to kill Noah again and I still found it all to be super satisfying especially when her friend Molly ends up hitting her over the head with the shovel and like just beating her to death I was like wow this is exactly what I wanted out of the end of this movie I thought Mm -hmm. that was great um also hilarious that that Molly's ex-boyfriend shows up and he's like he hears like the the gunshots and he hears like the screaming he's like ah no I've seen this too many times we don't we don't get out of this alive I'm getting out of here just like the the best like meta commentary yeah (laughs) on that character and actually just like leaving was really funny so right uh, really good stuff there anything else that you particularly like yeah you know I would have liked more of uh Steve's wife's character in this because like it's revealed that like not only is she uh knows what he's up to she's in on it but she actually was a previous victim assumingly and then it's just kind of dropped and like there's nothing nothing to come of it i almost was thinking that she would like turn it around and like help them defeat uh steve at the end there but no it's like just kind of like kind of dropped um also molly i really liked uh jojo t gibbs's energy as molly but the molly characters just kind of like really basic there to bounce off noah basically but for a directorial debut for mimi cave uh hard not to be impressed definitely looking forward to her next film and like you said really great to see sebastian stan just remind people that he is a talented guy and he doesn't have to just be bucky barnes yeah real quick uh, just looking at what Daisy Edgar Jones has on tap, starring in Where the Crawdads Sing, coming out at some point this year, and then Under the Banner of Heaven, which is also slated to come out this year, a television series, a murder mystery, where it's her and Andrew Garfield uh, investigating yeah. this murder uh, within the Mormon church. I- I'm all in on that, dude. Totally yeah. all in on Sold. that. Sold. Let's yep. go. <laughs> Let's go. Uh, anyways, uh, moving on to the big screen uh where the batman matt reeves man what a what a fun three hours that was on my my saturday morning uh fighting baby fighting off uh a a bladder that decided to kick in about an hour into the movie so just an hour and uh, hour 56 of uh deciding is there a good moment to go pee there really wasn't uh i just found this to be such a surprise because I felt a little Batman out. The the Joker came on my, my TV the other day. Right. Uh, and, yes. and I was watching and I was like, Joker. And I was like, do I really want more more Batman? You know, I didn't I, I thought Affleck was was okay as Batman, but I was like, yeah, you know, we didn't really get a we didn't get a Batman movie from him. He was in he kind of was the star of Justice League, so yeah, yeah, I guess that kind of counts. He's basically the star movie. of Batman vs Superman, co-star. And so I was like, "Yeah, okay, uh, I'm not totally in on it." Still love the Dark Knight trilogy. Uh, so I was like, mm, "Well, do we really need this?" And man, I just came out so so pleasantly surprised. And it's a just need. Loved it. So you you were you were pumped for this, right? Yeah, I was pumped for this. You know, DC has been doing doing this for a while now right not everything has to be super connected we will make stuff that is connected make stuff that isn't connected we might have multiple batmans we might have multiple jokers we're just going to take pitches and just try and make good work mm-hmm. and you know once the Snyderverse for 
good and bad f- fell off. I think it was a smart pivot. And, you know, we're see. I think we're, we're, we're seeing it largely work out. DC has been doing good. And following Joker, I actually had a lot of belief. It's like, Oh, what they're saying about the Matt Reeves, Batman movie could be real. That like, this is a gritty, dark detective Batman. It's like, Oh, you know what? Maybe I should believe him. And then you get that first trailer and, 2020 at dc fandom we're like holy shit that's definitely what it looks like you know and once you watch it like i was just quite impressed because it i think it's really pushing to limit what you can try and achieve in these you know superhero ip films like it the the ambition of the film is so high and you know much like how joker was so clearly indebted to inspired by taxi driver and king of comedy and you also see it in the production design like production that's clearly trying to invoke like 70s new york city the batman's the same way and along the way you're also invoking like humphrey bogart like noir detective movies like it's actually there and i i find it just really thrilling and on top of that like batman is the most popular dc character so just to see him uh done well done in such a gritty grimy fashion like this i just had an absolute blast with it yeah batman is the most popular superhero period um and so you were always going to get another batman i I kind of assumed this was going to be like a one-off type thing where it's like right you know matt reeves had this vision pattinson's gonna come in do his thing and that's it after the movie ended i do not think that's the case i think we're at least getting another one if not two more mm. um uh also he, let's not forget we will be getting two other batmans later this year in the flash movie with michael good, keaton good and ben affleck showing up to the flashpoint story so there'll be three different batmans this year alas <laughs> i agree uh there are heavy knots to the prospect of a sequel to this film and it had a very successful opening weekend so odds are good and I, I welcome it. I don't care that's not connected to anything else because what it is, is good. And that's enough. Yeah. yeah and I, I, I think what, I, what set the, the tone best for me is that Reeves really had a vision for how he wanted Gotham City to be in this movie. He really brought in this like, like 90s, like cyberpunk type feel to it. Um, and it, it I think he not only beautifully shot New York City. I don't know if it was actually in New York City. I didn't look up if production was there, but no, I mean, no, I was in London where they made this. But <laughs> they, they 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 CGI'd in Madison Square Garden and called it Gotham Square Garden. Yeah, so, same uh, font. You, yeah, you know what they're going for here. Um, and I, I thought it was it was great. You know, you have uh, you start off with this comic, this ode to comic books, where it's like this voiceover from Pattinson. Uh, you know, basically like reading out of Batman's journal and yeah. uh, you know, you have the fucking Nirvana soundtrack playing underneath it. And you're just like, Oh, this is, this is sick. This is exactly what we're going for. You already seen a, a really grisly murder by the Riddler, but to this point, so, you know, you, you're kind of bought in and Pattinson just plays such a different Bruce Wayne than we've ever seen. You know, he, we don't get him a lot as Bruce Wayne. He's pretty Correct. much Batman the whole time, which I love that choice. Like it, it seems like it makes a lot of sense for the character who is this 
totally broken, very mm. emotional and overwhelmed with grief person who is just trying to like exact vengeance, exactly what he says in his first line in the movie, his first line as Batman in the movie, um, on on the world by bringing people to justice, whatever that means. And uh, I think his like uh, his toned down, quiet emo, emo Batman was just like such a beautiful and like smart take and it made a ton of sense to me. Yeah, totally. It's so it's so fully realized because it, it like you said it makes complete sense for the film. It's the least Bruce Wayne we've ever gotten in a Batman movie. But also welcome. If you were going to keep making Batman movies, so at least do something different. We askew the uh origin story. We do not see the Waynes murdered in Crime Alley. We also don't see Bruce become the Batman either. This is a year 2 story. And I think it's just really smart to incorporate, like you said, this broken, messed up Bruce who doesn't care about all the other stuff that Bruce Wayne would be up to. He's just he's just Batman right now. That's his thing. So it makes sense that, yeah, we're not going to really see him go to the galas and uh, schmooze as Bruce right. Wayne during the day because that's just not what this this Bruce in year two of being the Batman would be doing. And yeah, I mean, I, Pattinson, big fan. He's been crushing it the last five, six years, making great choices. To see him come back to franchise fair at, in the biggest possible way as the new Batman, and then have it be this kind of Batman feels very in line with what he's been doing the last uh, last six years. You know, it's. I think it's another great choice by him. And I really like the performance because it's exactly what Reeves was going for with this version of Batman. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I, I think not only is it like right in Pattinson's wheelhouse for the kind of characters he's been playing, but it, it kind of allows him to almost kind of explore and kind of kick the, the franchise stigma that he's that he started off his career with kind of like to the curb in a sense because whereas the twilight characters were so cartoonish and ridiculous this is like a franchise that is like like ultra grounded as much as a superhero movie yeah. can be grounded no and yeah and i i i think the the way that pattinson not only is like playing this grounded superhero but one who like as a character is fully fleshed out in this movie to a point where it's like, yeah, everything he does makes total sense, including like his growth throughout the movie. And, you know, by the end, like where he kind of accepts what he has to be. I just thought it was like, Oh, this is such a makes total sense for where he's at in his career, given the last 10 years post twilight. Um, you know, he's, he's playing opposite Zoe Kravitz for a lot of the movie who, <laughs> Dude, I mean, Kimmy, and then then this. It's like she is just a fucking rocket. Like I, I don't know, man. She she sold the movie for me. I just thought every scene she was in, she was the the main thing to look at, and then everything else was kind of just wallpaper. Totally. Yeah. Well, and you know, like we said, like the production design, the the way the way the movie looks really brings you in. But like once we're in the Iceberg Lounge, which looks fantastic, looks so great, great, great vision of the Iceberg Lounge, which in the past has been a much more cartoonish, you know, uh, 
hub for the the penguin in this case is having it be like a fucking like house club and then like you're like you know you see zoe walk up as a wait- waitress at the club and you're like holy shit yeah this is perfect but like she just has such presence at all times she always has but now she's just getting these great parts too like the cat the, the cat is out of the bag it has been for some time that's like grabs is great and obviously this is the best cat woman we've got no shots to Pfeiffer or Hathaway, but this is just the best version of the character. And the motivations of Selena Kyle are completely fleshed out and developed throughout the course of this Mm -hmm. film. Everything she does makes complete sense. On top of that, she has amazing chemistry with Pattinson. Unbelievable. And the the sexual tension between the Batman and Catwoman is off the charts. Yeah. So it's complete success having Catwoman in this played by Zoe Kravitz. Yeah, referring to that sexual tension, that scene where she's like steal- looking for Annika's passport and uh, Batman comes up behind her and then the guard comes in. He like pulls her around the corner is like holding her like against him. And people in my theater, I thought were about to like lose their, their mind. It's not only what we're like the people sitting next to me, these teenage girls who are there for Pattinson, but obviously also big Zoe Kravitz fans. And I, they were literally like falling out of their chair watching this scene. They just were like, they couldn't believe it. Um yeah, and throughout the movie, it's just there the whole time. I think what I really loved about this Selena Kyle is obviously can't match Bruce in terms of physical strength or just like uh, weaponry, but her ability to like uh, emotionally understand him without actually knowing him i mean calling him out oh you, you're just a rich per you're just a rich kid underneath that that mask if that's the way you're seeing the world i just thought that made such a, a great like sidekick for batman and like in terms of the growth of bruce throughout the movie made total sense to have someone challenging him in that way who also had a similar story as an orphan and i mean it really is like a story of three orphans right because you also have paul dano as a riddler who is just completely uh, a, playing a different version of who both of these characters could have become looking yeah. for that re- revenge instead of that vengeance. And I just thought the, the, the three orphan story made so much sense in this. I, I, Matt, Matt yeah. Reeves really thought that through well. Totally. And kudos to Warner brothers for taking this pitch and letting him enact his vision and not meddling in this. He's had nothing but good things to say about the whole process. Uh, yeah man i mean dano i mean as soon as that got announced i thought that was brilliant and if you've watched prisoners yeah you you probably understand where dano's taking this because that's where he went with this but to reeves credit again the conception of the riddler this time around is not something like over the top and cartoony like jim carrey did it's i think far scarier because it's a much more believable as a kind of radicalized person who can gain followers online with these very extreme views on society. And if you remember like the, the incel talk when Joker came out, well, actually we got those characters shown to us in the Batman, funny enough. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think the whole, probably the first, what, 90 minutes or so, when it's really hard noir, I just thought it was so captivating as oh, yeah. a film. Just what, what, literally, he really did it. He made a detective Batman. The world's greatest detective. We finally saw it. 
was so cool. Like just watching Jeffrey Wright be like, this mean anything to you? And then Batman like, yeah, I know the fucking riddle, bro. <laughs> and just having to yeah. go through that. And like, you know, we, we, we get shown, we, we get to the iceberg lounge. We see that cool um, vision tech that Batman mm-hmm. shares with uh, for Catwoman. And then like, then, then, the, then the, the cameos start coming up, right? Peter Sarsgaard as the DA. Yep. So good. So overqualified for that performance. <laughs> yeah, that basically role. 10 the minutes performance in the movie. Is great. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, we, we encounter the Penguin, played by an unrecognizable Colin Farrell. Later, we get Carmine Falcone by John Turturro. Like, it, it just so lived in, so fully realized. But the detective part is what really grabbed me in the early going. I was just so thrilled with it. Yeah, I thought I thought the riddles uh, and, and how quickly he could solve them were just like yeah that this is what batman was in the comic books you know just this great detective on top of being this martial artist and the superhero um, i thought i loved that part too i also really thought like and you said this before the riddler was quite menacing and scary throughout the movie you know uh not only like the duct taping the the head of the the mayor up and then putting the the was it the da or the, the commission the commissioner of the police putting yes. the thing on his head where the rats ate his face like the mm. like super creepy scary things um but the, like the the who'd done it of it all and like following along um i just thought it was a lot of fun like you said and you could even go to rot a lot of doc rat a lot of.com and like it will give you like a clue if you like it, like click on a certain thing it's very cool that they like built that out so yeah, I, I loved all that stuff. And also how like they thought they had figured it out. It leads to this amazing car chase of like who's yes. the, the rat with 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 uh wings that with can't wings. fly or whatever. Yes. Um Am I the only one who am I the only one who knows this one L and La? Colin Farrell just going for it as the penguin, but awesome. But that that car chase, dude, was yeah. incredible. What one of my favorite parts of the movie for sure. Right. Yeah, so much went into doing that practically. Uh, a lot of nods to like French connection and like famous, like, you know, car chases of the seventies. Um, Greg Frazier was the director of photography for this film and he had just shot Dune as well. I mean, the movie just looks so good. And there was such a, I think a, a keen attention to like this version of Gotham and like really making it feel, feel like a specific place. I was quite impressed with Colin Farrell. You know, on, 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 in a sense, in a movie where you already have the Riddler and Catwoman, do we really need the Penguin? Is the Penguin just there for the HBO Max series that's being developed with Farrell? Who knows? But I actually kind of liked his figure as like a, you know, a heavy for Falcone that then, you know, steps up into becoming the, the Penguin that we, we, we more uh, easily know. And Farrell... I think just really kind of chewed on the scenery with like a New York accent. Uh, I think this definitely kind of washes away his nothing part in Fantastic Beast one. Like he was just in a franchise movie, lest we forget. But um, th- this is just, he's really just having such a blast these days, just being like a character actor. Yeah. No, I mean, Farrell's great. And we just talked about him and forgetting Yang. After Yang. Yeah. After Yang getting yang also might have not been a bad title for that movie but uh alas yeah i thought he was great really loved him in this also tutoro 
like he just kind of <laughs> shows up like an hour into the movie and you're like oh this is john john just being fucking awesome like he has such right. a presence and like as as falcone just kind of like this like he's there but not really there but kind of overarching everything just like amazing i, I thought he was great right yeah i love the scene where bruce goes to him and asks him what happened to his parents and he like blames Maroney. and i immediately thought of the dark knight you know the famous quote it must have been Maroney's men but falcone in this movie was like it must have been Maroney's men can't prove it but that's what i think and like it totally convinces bruce then he obviously we learned that no it's most likely falcone at least that's what alfred thinks and it's like i, I love kind of all those fake outs you know uh, uh similar something else that's set up across a lot of the film selena falcone's her dad they kind of make it seem like he also knows that but he actually didn't know that the entire time i really like that choice too um and then at the end when Batman goes to see the Riddler at Arkham. The way Riddler starts talking, Bruce Wayne starts getting Batman on edge. He's like, fuck, does he know my identity? Because he didn't know my identity before when he tried to kill me at Wayne Manor. Does he know my identity now? And it's like a whole like two minutes before Batman's like, oh no, doesn't actually know my identity. But (laughs) before that, you know, he's like glancing up at the security camera. He's like, fuck, am I I blown? Is it all over? And it's not like I, I really like how they kind of set up a lot of these like little fake outs throughout the film. Yeah, no, I thought that was great, especially because before he goes to Arkham, you know, it shows it shows him like looking at Bruce on that like uh, newspaper cover, uh, you know, with the, the night the night the Waynes were murdered and it has like a picture of like Bruce Wayne and the Waynes kind of all up there. So it's like kind of throwing you uh, for a loop there. Man, you just talked about maybe one of my favorite scenes in the second half of the movie, which is um, Paul Dano as the Riddler at Arkham, finally getting his like, you know, five minute monologue as Mm. the Riddler. And I just thought he crushed it. Like, you know, throughout the whole movie, he has these moments where he's live streaming and being super creepy and weird. He FaceTimes with Bruce and uh, um, the the DA at one point in at the, the memorial service and he's he's going for it the whole time you know like screaming at certain parts going quiet other parts he's really creepy but that scene at arkham is just so so like uh i don't know it's it's literally like watching one of the serial killers on mindhunter or something like that you know mm-hmm. and i just i just thought he was fantastic in that scene um and just like you said he kind of brings that that vibe he brought in prisoners the whole time and it's uh it's pretty pretty creepy for sure um so i know you really like the first half of the movie i wanted to ask you about the second half because it's a i think the second half of the movie is much different you know it's a lot more of like the action you kind of yeah. like i said you kind of get the the showdown um yeah msg with the the riddler's followers kind of some of like QAnon type guys how did you like the second half of the movie yeah well i i think the second half is like you know a weaker than the first half quote unquote but I still really enjoy it because I just think the whole vision of the film still really works. You know, like before you know, it's like, oh shit, the seawalls are crashing down and there's like Mm -hmm. widespread catastrophic flooding in Gotham. And oh wait, now there's going to be a mass shooting in MSG because the followers are there. It's like things uh, get real, really quick, you know? And it it just, it moves at a much faster pace than the first half of the film had been going. But I still didn't mind it because I, you know, I I think they, they, 
they they earn it by having Batman like almost push the kill and then having Selena like show up at the last second and like you know saving him and stopping him and like, I just think it all works. Yeah, I, I think it all works. And you know, I really like seeing like Batman on the on the uh, roof of the building as the National Guard's coming in and like it's like clearly progressing the the story to a now Batman is a fully publicized figure in Gotham and I think kind of sets up an interesting level of change for a future film but just in general like this movie like makes no qualms about the fact that like Batman doesn't even know if he's making a difference throughout the whole thing in terms of Gotham's crime and like quality of life and stuff and corruption and at the end he's like realizing that he can still make a difference to individuals even if like the the system still like keeps things down like i I think it also kind of worked and fit with that overall vision that the movie was setting you up with so i still liked it yeah i i like the second half um probably not as much as first half but uh I, i agree i think where bruce ends up kind of being that symbol of hope for the city um and and that character growth makes a lot of sense um i i do like that they set up some sort of potential for the joker played by barry keegan um yeah. in at, at arkham with the riddler uh, i don't know if we'll necessarily see him in the next one i almost think they might be like setting that up and eventually like it'll be some big arkham escape type thing and uh, i don't know i whatever because setting up arkham as being uh bruce's mom's maiden name obviously i think there's going to be something where he has to go to arkham asylum at some point mm. so right well if we remember before the Batman came out, they announced a Gotham Police Department series for HBO Max, and then later announced a Penguin HBO Max series as well with Colin Farrell uh, coming back. We've since learned just recently that Maverick's confirmed that the Gotham PD show is not happening anymore. There were creative differences. We knew there had been like you know showrunners dropping out and stuff. They're not making that. However, it seems to have now morphed into an Arkham Asylum type hbo max series so interesting i'm sure we'll hear more about that but it also makes sense because that's kind of what wb's been doing they've been blowing up hbo max with more spinoff series you know you got the bennett jeseret dune spinoff coming hbo max as well all these dc series they've been doing so kind of fits with what what they've been doing but i can't wait for either of those shows just because this world is so fully fleshed out and developed that just to get back uh any time you know uh let alone for the next movie uh sounds great Uh, a couple of of quick quick questions i wanted to ask you um andy circus jeffrey wright how'd you feel about their performances yeah uh good you know you don't get a ton of uh, andy circus as alfred probably the least served of the big cast here but I enjoyed him. You know, I, I, it was definitely a committed performance. And uh, I like Jeffrey Wright as Gordon as well. You know, I think it's cool to see a Gordon who's not fully at the top as commissioner just yet and is almost like going rogue with association with Batman. But even like when I, I loved like seeing like Gordon and Batman walk through the the police line around all these cops and enter the crime scene like seeing all that stuff and seeing like gordon like hold it keep everyone at bay uh i I thought was really great but 
you also don't get a ton of Gordon either. Like it's almost yeah. more just like the detective stuff early on, but uh, I think still, still good enough. Yeah. I really like Jeffrey Wright in that role. Uh, and I feel like he got a little bit more to do than he usually does a little more like action, like shootout scenes. I loved right. the scene where the, the cops want to unmask him and he has to like basically get Batman out of the police uh, precinct. I just thought that was an electric yeah. uh, escape scene. Um, and ending in like a pretty brutal crash where like Batman's just like fine after he almost like breaks his leg, which I thought was funny. Um, you know, going, going back to Alfred though, I gotta say, uh, it's a pretty tough look when the, the first minute that Alfred wakes up from basically a coma, uh, the first thing that Bruce says to him, you know, Alfred smiles at him and Bruce goes, you lied to me. Like, <laughs> like just it's a tough first thing to hear when you get out of a, a medically uh, medically caused coma. I don't know. Yeah, funny. but it makes sense for this version of Bruce. True. Yeah. Selfish One track and, mind. Yeah. But oh, man, I just I, I like actually started laughing in the theater because this was like, damn, like give it, let the guy have like two minutes where he's like, why the fuck am I here? I'm not dead. Like, what the hell? Um. Yeah, but I, I, I enjoyed both their performances. I think this is definitely set up for a fun trilogy, um, if, if that's what it comes to, at least one other movie. Uh, do you feel like this is your favorite Batman now? Uh, no, I would say my favorite is still The Dark Knight, but I think this is my second favorite Batman movie. I probably have this over Batman Returns and Batman Begins. And there's been a lot of Batman movies, so to, to make the second or third best Batman movie is still quite the accomplishment, I'd say definitely uh yeah i i agree it's probably it's probably third behind begins for me just really love that that nolan trilogy where does uh where does uh the riddler from this movie rank in terms of the villains for you obviously it's not ledger but second no. yeah it's a good one i mean there's been a lot of great villains you got nicholson joker devito penguin hmm it's tough. Yeah, though. I mean, I think he's up there in the second tier, obviously, behind Heath. Yeah. I mean, Bane is Bane is almost overrated, I think, given the given what we get in Dark Knight Rises, even if people like the performance from Hardy and like the energy and all that. And I'm not as high on Rachel Ghoul and Batman Begins as other people are, but I think this is up there. This is this was a really this was done really well, and yeah, I, I'm definitely not opposed to see more Penguin as well because I think Colin Farrell has potential to do really great as a primary antagonist as well. Yeah, I, I agree with you on, on both points. Um, I would probably put the this Riddler as the second favorite villain for me. I'd say, and I have to imagine if if you have the Dark Knight up there at number one in your Batman rankings, then you probably also have. Uh, the um god why can't remember christian bale batman as your yeah. favorite yeah yeah i mean Chris, christian bale for sure is definitely the best bruce aspect of batman obviously he's also like the most to do as bruce but i think overall yeah i probably still go with bale but like for this specific vision of batman i mean you, it's completely nailed by patents yeah. and, and delivered on by reeves so that one's always kind of interesting to compare, though, because obviously they're all so different tonally, whether it's Adam West, Keaton, Bale, or Rob. 
let alone yep. the two Schumacher ones. And then again, you get a lot of the hardcore DC people really enjoyed Affleck. So I think in general, we, we've largely done really well with casting Batman to this point. Yeah. You know, I, I could very much see this, this vision of Batman being like a prequel to the um, uh, Affleck Batman, you know, just kind of in terms of the like grizzled, like toned right. downness. Um, but yeah. I don't know. It's uh, uh, definitely up there. It might be my, it's probably second for me in terms of favorite Batmans. I mean, they, like you said, they're also different. So it's kind of hard to totally compare, but I, I don't think Bale could have played this well, but I do think Pattinson could have played Bale. Probably not as oh. well, but yeah. I mean, you know. watch Pattinson in Tenet. You know, he could have done, <laughs> right. done yeah. Bale Batman. We already know this. Oh, yeah. Gr- great point. Great point. Uh, any last thoughts on the movie? Anything else you want to touch on? Uh, gl- glad to see it was very successful at the opening weekend. Uh, 134 million domestic, which is actually higher than the total gross of any WB movie in 2021. Obviously, the HBO Max day and date stuff is now gone in 2022. Um, so I'm hoping this has a nice, successful run. Like, uh, obviously, not as big as Spider Man, but uh, still hoping it does really well because i would really welcome that sequel so same here yeah all righty well i think that's gonna wrap it up for us this week uh the batman man go, go see it just go watch it yeah. dave what do we got for next week yeah so pixar delivering their latest feature film turning red on disney plus excited about that also netflix from sean levy and ryan reynolds the free guy team teaming back up again for an original sci-fi film, The Atom Project. Not sure if it's good, but the fact that it's some kind of original big movie, I think definitely warrants attention, especially coming off Free Guy. Also, Marvel's Mrs. Maisel wrapping up on Amazon Prime, season four, that uh, two episodes a week catches up quick. Uh, Survivor season 42 premieres this week. We'll talk about that when the series concludes. And lastly, Formula One, Drive to Survive, Season 4, out on Netflix this Friday. Get fucking hyped. Dave, can, can I just jump into that? Do I have to watch the first three seasons? Uh, no, I mean, it's a, you can just jump right in and it's just the current season. You don't necessarily need to know what happened in the past. Perfect. All right, so maybe I'll check that out as well, just to kind of see what's going on. I'm not really yeah. into F1 yet, but... Maybe I think that we could present an interesting perspective to someone who is very much into it and someone who is not into it and see if it's effective for both parties. <laughs> well, if you want to hear both those perspectives and more, subscribe at youtube.com slash nostalgia pod. Go to Nostalgia on Spotify and uh, give us a five-star rating. Also follow our, we didn't talk music this week, but follow our best music of the year on uh, best, uh, Nostalgia Best of 2022 playlist on Spotify. And uh, if you really want to, go to SoundCloud. Give us a a follow there. So uh, we'll catch you all next week. Peace out.